Joshua chapter number 8, if you have your Bible, turn there with me, Joshua chapter number 8. We are going to verse 1, 2, 13, 26, and 27, because I had to cut some stuff out because it got long. So Joshua chapter 8, verse number 1. Now the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you and arise and go up to Ai. I have given into your hand the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. And you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its cattle you shall take as bounty for yourselves. Lay an ambush for the city behind it. Verse number 13. And when they had set the people, all the army that was on the north of the city and its rear guard on the west of the city, Joshua went that night in the midst of the valley. And then verse 26, for Joshua did not draw back his hand, did not, I think it says, did not dare to draw back his hand with which he stretched out the spear and he had, until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai, only the livestock and the spoil of the city Israel took as bounty for themselves according to the word of the Lord which he had commanded Joshua. Today we are returning, as I just said, to our serious mental health goals. We took a temporary leave of absence from the subject matter to turn our attention to the most important subject matter in the Bible, which is the cross and the resurrection. But we are coming back to this very important subject, our mental health, a subject that God's Word has so much to say about, and it talks about it in so many different places, but what I want to talk to you about is the importance of not drawing back, not drawing back, and how that impacts your mental health. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you speak to our hearts? Would you speak to our minds? Would you help us to grasp your word in totality? In Jesus' name, and everybody said, you may be seated. Praise the Lord. The Word of God has so much to say about the importance of renewing our minds. Some of the scriptures that we have looked at over and over again are Romans chapter 12, verse number 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove or experience what is that good, perfect, and acceptable will of God, not three wills of God, one will of God that is good, acceptable, and perfect for your life. How do you achieve? How do you experience the will of God for your life? It comes when you renew your mind. If your mind is not renewed, you can be saved, but you cannot experience the full will of God for your life. Another scripture that we have looked at is Proverbs chapter 23, verse number seven, for as a man or a woman thinks in his heart, so is he. In other words, our mind and the condition of our mental health has everything to do with experiencing the will of God as well as the direction that our life goes in. Our life follows our mind. We know that our mind is always the first thing to go. Decisions that we act upon are not spontaneous most of the time. They are things that we have meditated on and that meditation causes a physical response, namely for us to act upon those things. And so because our mind is so key to experiencing the will of God for our lives and leading our lives in a certain direction, God has given us mighty weapons, you remember them, in order for our mind to be renewed in every way so that we can experience the will of God in the life that God has designed us to live. And so we have talked about three categories of weapons, and you might remember them. The mighty repealing weapons, those are the weapons that empower us to uproot the old stinking thinking that keeps us bound. We need to get rid of the old programming. We need to renew our minds so we repeal those thoughts. There are mighty repealing weapons, and we talked about those. We are currently talking about the mighty renewing weapons, the weapons that empower us to retrain our mind and consequently our brains to think the way that God would have us to think so that we can experience 
the life he's designed for us. And we're talking about those. And then when we're done talking about these, we're going to go on to the mighty reframing weapons. And these are the weapons that allow us to strengthen the neural pathways in our brain, which are really responsible for the behaviors in our lives so that we can go into a place of doing godly things on a regular basis in an almost automated way and experience cycles of victory instead of cycles of defeat. And so we've been talking about all those things. And the category, as I said, that we're camping on is the category, the renewing weapons. And the renewing weapons focus on uh, the power that godly actions have on renewing our mind and changing our lives. In short, the more we do, the more we act upon the word of God, the greater our mind is impacted. Our mind is actually trained by actions in a huge way. And you remember the phrase we were saying that what we do is responsible for the glue, that there's actually a protein that is released in your brain that solidifies healthy pathways of thinking that are responsible for the actions that you find yourself many times almost involuntarily doing because they become habits in your life. And so when you begin to step in faith, act in faith, what you're actually doing is causing your mind to rewire around that action. And so we've been talking about the power of actions. And we said that the power of actions really is uh, summarized in this concept of winning the day. How do we get the right actions automated into our life so that our thinking is retrained? We don't focus on winning the war. Because most people, when you focus on, on everything that's out there and not at what's be, before you, you lose sight of doing what you can do to change the moment and the day. So we talked about winning the day. And we said if you focus on winning the day, godly actions in a particular day, then you'll eventually win the war. Because as you stack day after day after day, you experience the cumulative effect of long obedience in the same direction. Have I caught you back up? Is your mind back in mental health goals, right? And I've given you so far seven ways to have winning days. And I'll give them to you real quick. Get a win out of the way to start your day. Get up and get a win out of the way. You, you got to start start the momentum somehow. So so we talked about that. We talked about leveraging your morning time with the Lord. We talked about number three, beginning the night before. Plan how your day is going to go the night before. Don't be rushing around like a chicken with its head cut off trying to figure out what you're going to do. And then you never have time to do what you want to do in the morning. And your day starts off behind instead of ahead. Start the night before. Then we talked about the importance of getting some stones. Remember that? We said things that anchor us, ritual reminders that anchor us to godly habits. Then we talked about practicing habit stacking, taking something that is difficult for you to do and coupling it with something that is easy for you to do. And I talked about how every morning since the beginning of the year, I exercise while I study the word of God. Studying the word of God is easy for me to do. Exercise is not easy for me to do. But when I put them together, I get both done. Habit stacking. Then we talked about embracing the power of little by little. When people don't embrace embrace the power of little by little, they get discouraged, right? Because they, they don't see massive changes. But but little by little is how you accomplish anything. God told the children of Israel, I'm not going to give you Canaan's land all in a day. I'm going to give it to you little by little. And he talked about the unintended consequences if they got it too quick. And so if you need more on that, go back and listen to that message. And then last time we were in this subject, how to have winning days, we said if you're going to have winning days, you've got to kill Achan. And and we talked about what Achan is, and that's really where the story picks up today. You might remember um, that the children of Israel easily took the strong, fortified city of Jericho. They were able to just go in. I mean, they all they did was march and shout, and the walls came down, and it was there. It's just an easy win. But then they went to the next city, which was a puny little city by the name of Ai, and they got unexpectedly routed. And the reason why they got unexpectedly routed is because Jericho was the first city, and there was a man by the name of Achan who 
took of the spoil of the first city. And the first always belongs to the Lord, right? What, it, what you do with the first determines what happens to the rest. And if you touch what is first, you will lose battles that you're supposed to win. But if you honor God with what is first, you will win battles you're supposed to lose. And so when they went into Jericho honoring God and keeping him first, they won a battle they were supposed to lose. But then when they touched the first, which was Jericho, they went into Ai and they lost the battle they were supposed to win. And so God, uh, Joshua got before God. He said, God, what's going on? He said, God, how could we lose? Because how many of you know we're not supposed to lose? Right? If you're a child of God, you ain't supposed to lose, right? Thanks be to God who not some of the time, but always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. So Joshua got before God and he said, God, this is unusual. Why did this happen? And so what God told him is that Achan, one of the, one of the men, right? In one of the tribes touched of the accursed things or the dedicated things or the first things from Jericho. And so what they had to do is they had to get Achan out of the way in order to get the anointing of God back on their lives so that they could march forward and have the victory. So we talked about how Achan in our lives is anything that is knowingly standing in the way of what God has for you in your life. And if you're going to have winning days, you got to kill Achan. You got to get ruthless with Achan. You can't play with Achan. It can't be your friend. It can't be something that you say, well, I'll get over another day. You got to get serious about standing up for God in your own personal life. What is it that is hindering you from marching forward and living the life that God wants you to have? If it's hindering you, get it out of the way. And so they kill Achan. They stone Achan and everything that is associated with him. And God then says to him, to Joshua, now go back and fight where you lost. How many of you know there's nothing more scary than going back and fighting where you lost? And the reason why it's scary to go back and fight where you lost is because there's usually a story to that loss. There's usually a memory that is attached to that loss. And what the enemy begins to do when you go back to fight where, this is a word for somebody right here. When you go back to fight where you lost is he begins to replay how victory was not possible for you. And so you go into the new fight at a mental disadvantage right away because the enemy knows that if he can beat you in your mind, he can beat you in your life. And so God says to Joshua, now go back and fight where you lost. But little does he know that When God tells us, little does the enemy know, that when God tells us to go back and fight where we lost, the enemy is not fighting the same type of person that he fought the first time around, right? The enemy is now fighting somebody who has learned from their losses. Listen to me. If you've lost at something, if you've lost in an area of your life, and God says, now go back and fight it again, you are now not the same person you used to be. You have learned from your loss. You have a different anointing. You have a different trust. You have a different level of spiritual education. You have a different rhema or revelation of the word of God. You are now wielding and yielding the word of God differently than you were doing it before. And this time, because Achan is not hindering what God has for you, God is on your side. And if God be for you, who can be against you? Right? And so he says, go back. Go back and fight. And, 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 and sure enough, God says it this way to Joshua. He says, stretch out your spear. Some versions say javelin that is in your hand toward Ai, for I will give it into your hand. Moses had a staff. Joshua had a spear. God wasn't asking Joshua to use what Moses had to win with. He was asking him to use what God entrusted him to win with. If I had time, I would teach you about the importance of not trying to be something that you're not. 
You will never succeed in areas that you're not. You'll never succeed trying to be good at a gift that God has given to somebody else. But you will always overcome if you work what God has given you. And so he tells him, stretch out your spear because he doesn't have a staff. And he says, if you'll do that, then I will give you the city. Notice it's really not the staff. It's really not the spear. It is God on the staff and God on the spear. It is the anointing of God. It is not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. It's not really what you have, even though when you use what you have, it is a step of faith. It is really God getting on and in what you have. And when God puts his anointing on something that you have, that anointing breaks yokes and it destroys bondages. I will give it to you. Use what God has given you. And so God has given Joshua a promise. The promise is this. Verse number one again. I have given into your hand the king of Ai. His people, his city, and his land. And you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Now, how many believe the promises of God? Sometimes it's easy for us to believe, well, yeah, look, if God spoke to me like that, I would be good. Well, God did speak to you like that. He said, no weapon formed against you will prosper. You believe it? Right? He said, thanks be to God who always causes us to have, to triumph in Christ Jesus. You believe it? Right? The Bible says, thanks be to God who heals, who forgives all your iniquities and heals all your diseases. You believe it? Those are, those are promises of God, right? And so God is speaking. He gives a promise, but check this out. God doesn't just gives a, give a promise. He gives Joshua a plan. Verse number three, the second portion says, lay an ambush for the city behind it. God says, I've given it to you. That's the promise. But now I've got to give you a plan for how to achieve or receive the promise. Listen to me. There are two components to every promise that God gives you. One is to believe it. The other one is to have a plan so that you can receive it. And part of the reason why so many children of God never experience the full promises of God is because all they have is a promise and they never get before God and get the plan. You got to have both. You got to have a promise and a plan, a promise and a plan, right? The promises of God is for you to be in good health. But how many of you know, you got to follow a plan, right? Because you can believe all them promises all you want. You keep pumping fat into your body. It's going to cause problems in your life. I'm not speaking that over anybody. I believe God is greater than even fat, but I'm just telling you, you need to have a promise and a plan. I want my lungs to be healthy, but you're going to smoke like a chimney your entire life. You got to have a promise and a plan. There's enough stuff out there that comes against us without us helping the devil, right? That we don't need to have an aching in our life that is hindering the promise that God has for us. We need to have a promise and a plan. And so what's the plan? The plan is, and by the way, the plan usually involves you setting your hand to do something. Right? You, you gotta usually do something. Faith requires action. Faith without works corresponding action is dead. Belief without action nullifies the intended outcome. So we've been talking about in this series, faith is your belief. How do you strengthen your belief by the way that you act? How do you see what the way, what God has for you come to pass? You have an action that corresponds with your faith. So here's the plan. He says, he says, um, take half the army and go in front of Ai down into the valley and let the king of Ai see you. Let him see that you're coming back. And that king is going to be overconfident because he's beat you one time. And he's going to say, oh, you came back with some more. You want some of this? And he's going to go ahead and chase. But when he goes ahead and chase, the other half of the army have behind AI. And when they all abandon the city because they think they're going to beat you easy, have the people that are behind AI come in, light the city on fire. And when the king turns around with his army and sees the city on fire, his heart is going to fail. In other ways, God is going to get in the enemy's head. 
And then when I'm in his head, because he sees his city burning, then Joshua, instead of running away from, turn and fight him, and you will get the enemy caught between two armies converging on him in the middle. Isn't God smart? God does to the enemy what the enemy does to us. Have you ever felt like you were stuck? That's how the enemy wants you to feel. If you'll follow the plan of God, God will turn your situation around due to the enemy, what the enemy does to us. And so God gives him a plan. And by the way, when you get a promise and then you get a plan, the plan will usually tell you where to put your resources. Put half here and half there. Too too many people never have plans for anything in their life. You gotta have plans in order to see the promises come to pass. And a plan usually requires the allocation of your resources. And I'm just not only talking about physical resources, but I'm talking about emotional resources. There are some of you that just need to let some fights go. You know why? Because you're, you're messing up the plan because you only have so much energy to put into so many things, but some of you want to be right more than you want to just move on with God, right? And so the plan will tell you, where do I put the resources? And so I said all that to say this. God gives them a promise. He gives them a plan. But then watch this, Joshua chapter 8, verse number 13. It says, and when they had set the people all the army that was on the north of the city and its rear guard on the west of the city, Joshua went, Joshua went, Joshua went that night into the midst of the valley. God gave Joshua a promise and a plan, but Joshua was persistent. If you are going to win the day, if your mind is going to be renewed, you need to be relentlessly persistent relentlessly persistent. Joshua goes back to face the fear and to fight where he once lost before. That is relentless persistence. Daring to go back and fight again. Finding the strength to get up again in the face of opposition. Falling down but daring to rise up. In the words of educational reformer Thomas Palmer, if at first you don't succeed, try try again. You need to, if your mind is going to eventually get renewed. You need to be relentlessly persistent in all things. It is an understanding as a child of God that you literally have rise up power on the inside of you. We talk about it a lot. Easter just came and went. Suddenly we forget about the resurrection. But you know when you need the resurrection? Every day of your life. Because how many of you know, so many days of your life, what does the enemy do? He comes to knock you down. What do you need to know when the enemy knocks you down? You got rise up on the inside of you. You got resurrection power on the inside of you. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives and reigns on the inside of you. Proverbs 24 verse number 16 says it this way. A righteous man falls seven times, but guess what? Gets up again. Rise up. Get up. Don't stay down. You got to be relentless persistent you got to have what I call a but not faith you know what a but not faith is anybody know what a but not faith is right here's what Paul said 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse number 7 he said we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us right he said we are hard pressed on every side but not crushed we are perplexed but not in despair we are persecuted but not forsaken we are struck down but not destroyed devil i'm down but not out devil i'm sidelined but not for long devil i'm on the ground but not staying down devil i've lost but not going to lose next time you have to have a relentlessly persistent faith a but not faith a faith that says I'm going to rise up again. What if Israel stopped on the sixth day of circling Jericho? What if they stopped on the seventh seventh day, sixth time, sixth time around? What if Abraham Lincoln 
stopped running for office after he lost low-level elections? What if Pixar went out of business when their original idea of making animation software failed? What if Starbucks went out of business when they were hit by financial challenges early on? What if Jesus quit in the garden? What if he threw the towel in on midnight of the second day? What if Joshua never went back to fight AI again? Here is one of the keys to winning the day. Here's one of the keys to your mind being renewed. It is having a relentless persistence. A relentless persistence. I want to tell you a funny story. In 1973, there was a pair of Harvard scientists. And they stuck a thermometer in a cheetah's bum. Literally an experiment. This is what you're paying all these kids big money to go to Harvard for so they can stick a thermometer in a cheetah's bum. And they somehow got the cheetah to run on a treadmill. I don't know how they did that. Got the cheetah to run on the treadmill, right? Thank God, by the way, that during the rise of COVID, they now have thermometers they could just point at your head. Otherwise, everybody would have really stayed home. That was a joke right there. Just playing. Say, Pastor, what in the world does this have to do with being relentlessly persistent? Well, in Mexico, they once lived a remote tribe known as the Tara. Humara, Tara Humara. And they were known for their running ability and they were actually called the running people. And it was discovered as this tribe was studied that they could catch any animal without spears and, you know, without long range things to throw at them by simply outrunning the animals. They could outrun deer. Now they weren't faster than the deer, but they could outrun the deer. And the reason why was discovered by the thermometer that the Harvard professors put in the bum of the cheetah. They found out that after a cheetah reaches a certain temperature, a cheetah must stop. So does almost every other animal. And here's the reason why. Because most animals do not have sweat glands and they cannot perspire. So they must stop. But guess what human beings have? We have sweat glands. That's what enables me to preach five sermons on the weekend and sweat and sweat and sweat and sweat and keep going and going and going and going. Why? Because God made me fearfully and wonderfully. He made you fearfully and wonderfully. And this version of hunting where they would go after animals that was called persistence hunting. And so when you get up, you know what the enemy does? He said, what in the world are you doing getting up? When, when, when Joshua went back, Joshua, why are you coming back to fight where you lost before? When Jesus got up, how dare he get up? What are y'all doing? We are going persistent hunting, right? We are hunting whatever it is that God has promised to us, and we are not giving up until we get what God says is either die or receive it, but quitting is not a choice. Persistence hunting persistence hunting we need to go after it and it's not to move God see people get crazy they think well I gotta gotta be persistent because I gotta somehow annoy God into responding you know and they even have scripture for it there's a lot of stupid people that got scripture right well you know the widow woman she wearied that judge down and I would say what kind of judge was it they were like I don't know this is a judge Read the story carefully. It was an unjust judge. So I was in, are you trying to tell me my father's unjust? So you're trying to tell me that that's an example of us and God, God being the unjust judge, and we just annoy him until he answers us. What kind of father is that? Got to be annoyed to respond to your kids. If you then being evil know how to give good gifts onto your children, how much more shall your father in heaven give good things to those that love him? The reason why she had to keep coming, because in Bible times, it was unjust. If you didn't have money in Bible times, you couldn't get your court case heard. And a widow woman was destitute. Everybody else would pay off the clerks, and the clerks would take them right up to the judge. So there was only one way for that widow woman to get justice, and that was for her to be persistent. Do you know why you are going persistence hunting? It is not to wear God down. It is to wear the enemy down. And when you outlast the enemy, when you sweat through your situation, what you are doing is you are letting the devil know, I'm not stopping until God gives it to me. 
Persistent son. If you are going to win the day, if your mind is going to be renewed, you have to be persistent in doing the godly things. You might fall down, get up and try again. You might miss the mark this time, get up and try again. Keep doing it until it becomes a habit in your life. Being relentlessly persistent, but also, number two, notice Joshua didn't just go back to fight where he once lost. He holds the javelin out until everyone in Ai is dead. Verse number 26, for Joshua did not dare draw back his hand, which he has stretched out with the spear, until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. The second key to winning the day and seeing your mind renewed by what you do is don't just be relentlessly persistent, be consistently consistent. Don't just be relentlessly persistent, be consistently consistent. Joshua didn't draw back his spear until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. Don't draw back. Don't draw back. In in order to win a day, you have to be consistently consistent. Most people falsely believe that there are a few, select few, who are extraordinarily gifted, and that is the reason for their extraordinary success. This is a belief that is part of an unrenewed mind that allows us to cope easier with our own unsuccessful lives and situations. Well, the only reason why they're, well, the only reason why they have so much money, the only reason why they have a good marriage, the only reason why they have a good job, the only reason why they, why they, why they, why they, why they, is because they are extraordinarily gifted or they really got good breaks. And that's the only reason in some people's mind where other people are successful. And I know why people believe that because that allows a lot of people to get up and look in the mirror. And look in the mirror and not feel bad about themselves. But how many of you know what you should be looking in is not the mirror, but the perfect law of liberty, which will set you free, which will let you know that God is no respecter of persons. And if God did it for one person, God can do it for you. Frederick Nietzsche, who, by the way, I don't normally like to quote because he was also an atheist, he called this belief the cult of genius. The cult of genius is when, well, there's people who are specially favored. There are people who have these special abilities. The cult of genius, though, is a little like the Wizard of Oz. If you peek behind the curtain, you'll find ordinary people like you and me. Lions who had no courage. Scarecrows who lacked some intelligence. And tin man who lacked some heart. Let me remind you that God uses what? The foolish things of this world to confound the wise. In other words, here's what God is saying. You don't have to be especially bright. You don't have to be especially... Now don't just try to be stupid. (laughs) Try to improve yourself as much as you can. But that's not really where the rubber meets the road. Most greats in the field understand that the difference between those that have a renewed mind and those that experience the life that God wants them to have and those that aren't are those that are relentlessly persistent and consistently consistently consistent. Joshua was one of them. Joshua was one of 12 of the best of the best of the 12 tribes. They were all picked, handpicked. Yeah. Moses said, I need the best from every tribe. 12 came before them. He told them, go into the promised land. Check it out. Come back with a report. Everybody came back, but I can't report. Everybody came back with the giants or big report. Joshua came back and he said, you know what? God promised us this. We can do it. Let's go get them right now. They would fail. Joshua would say, come on, let's, let's try again. Joshua was relentlessly persistent and consistently consistent. Matter of fact, Kobe Bryant, how many of you think he, he was especially gifted? Right? Everybody thinks, well, that's why he was a great basketball player. Especially gifted. And maybe he had better skills than most. But he was known to show up to gym 4 a.m. every single morning. 4 a.m. Well, you're sleeping and then complaining you ain't got money like Kobe got. Kobe's at the gym working his craft. And here's what he would do. He'd practice fundamentals. Nothing but fundamentals. He wasn't interested in style points. He wasn't practicing his behind the back. He wasn't practicing his tomahawk dunks. He was practicing dribble with both hands. Shoot and follow through without a hitch in a shot. Smooth. It's a little joke for Pastor Brandon right there. Smooth. 
He was practicing his fundamentals. And people would ask him and they say, say, how could you practice this be so boring? And he would say, why do you think I'm the best in the world? He said, because I never get bored of the basics. He went on to say, it's a constant quest to try to be better today than you were yesterday. What asked, what he wants people to remember about him, here's what he said. To think of me as a person that has overachieved. That would mean a lot to me. That means I put a lot of work in and I squeezed every ounce of juice out of this orange that I could squeeze. And not just Kobe, Michael Phelps. One of the greatest or the greatest Olympic swimmer that has ever swam. Most amount of medals. You know what he did as a teenager when everybody took off on Sundays? He got an extra workout in. Here's what he believed. 52 more workouts I got that they didn't get. It showed up when he was in the pool. Now, just let me tell you this. You can overdo it and it can be counterproductive. And we, we've talked in the past about the importance of rest. But you know what? Most people, you know, it's, they, they get too much rest. We're, we're in a society where we actually believe we are owed two days a week off. How fine if you work, have two days a week off. I'd love to have two days a week off. That'd be wonderful. Six days, man, shall work. One day, they shall rest. Right Now, it's fine if you can do it and you're happy and so on and so forth. But what am I saying? I'm saying that people work it. They are consistently consistent. Pablo Casals, he's the world's greatest cellist. He played a, played a private concert for Queen Victoria at 22 and a private concert for President Kennedy at 86. In his 80s, he still practiced five hours a day. In his 80s. They asked him why he practiced so much. He said, I'm getting better every day. I'm getting better every single day. Being consistently consistent. The miracle of winning the day happens when our grit meets God's grace. I believe with all my heart, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, maybe this doesn't apply to you, the church is soft. The church believes in magic, not faith. You know there's a difference between magic and faith? Magic is you pray one little puny prayer for 30 seconds, do nothing else, and everything in your life changes. And if it doesn't, you whine and complain, get mad at God, and leave church. Hello? Well, the miracle happens when our grit means, meets God's grace. We believe knowing that it all depends upon God. But we exercise our faith thinking that it all depends upon us. And when our grit meets God's grace, there is an explosion that happens. Matter of fact, when you win the day, a day becomes one day. You say, what do you mean, pastor? The stories we read in the Bible in minutes took years to come to pass. We read them in minutes and we're like, yeah, that's what I want. Joseph one day became prime minister. But for 13 years after the promise, he was consistently consistent. David one day became king. But for 15 years after his selection and before his coronation, he was consistently consistent. Joshua one day took over for Moses. But for 40 years, he was consistently consistent at being Moses' servant. Even Jesus was consistently consistent for 30 years before he did one miracle. If you will be consistently consistent, you'll win the day, and one day will happen for you. One day, everything will change. How? Just be consistently consistent. Being relentlessly persistent will get you there, but listen to me. Being consistently consistent will keep you there. Let me, let me be self-abasing for just a moment. I'm relentless. Absolutely relentless. There is no quit in me on anything. You can knock me down. You can count on one thing. I'm coming back to fight again. Guaranteed. And I'm relentless. But you know what? In some areas of my life, I'm not consistent. I am relentless at losing weight. Relentlessly persistent. I have lost the same 40, 50 pounds. And you see it every year. I go up and down 40 to 50 pounds. When I decide, when I look in the mirror one morning and I'm like, oh no, that's it. You're looking way too big now. I get relentless. And when I get relentless, that weight is coming off. There is no way that way I can stand in the middle of a room full of cannolis when I'm relentless. And I know what? I'm going to overcome because I'm relentless. But then when I lose it, I want to celebrate. 
I want to go to Carmine's. I want to go to buffets. I, I, I want to eat ice cream. I want to eat everything. And because I'm relentless with weight loss, but not consistently consistent, I get there, but I don't stay there. But in life, you need both. You need to be relentlessly persistent and consistently consistent. And even though in weight loss, I'm not like that. My closet, I literally have a clothing store closet labeled. From size 32 to size 42. Pants. And depending on which ones I'm going to need, depends upon how consistently consistent I am. So I don't throw them out because I know I'll see you again. <laughs> I'll see you on the way up and I'll see you on the way down. Right? But when it comes to my calling, when it comes to me being a pastor and a preacher... I am relentlessly persistent and consistently consistent. Now, it's going to sound like I'm bragging, but maybe you can say amen to this. Most of you have never heard me preach a bad message. Now, I don't know if you know how unusual that is. Okay, I'm not bragging. I'm just going to tell you why in a minute. Because there are a lot of preachers that are much more gifted than me. But I know a lot of them preachers. And I'll ask them sometimes when we're sitting over there, what you're preaching on? I have no idea. And here's this, I'm just going to wait for the Holy Ghost to give it to me. You unstudied, undisciplined, and half the time they bomb. Half the time it's like, seriously? That's what you had? Why? Because you weren't consistently consistent. You didn't, you, you were, you're relentless. You're here. You're there. You're everywhere. But how about opening the Bible? How about studying? How about putting a message together? How about getting into the Word of God? How about not just being relentless, but being consistently consistent so you can deliver every time and so you don't just have a moment on top, but that God keeps you there because God knows He can trust you because you have studied to show yourself approved of God. A work that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so every week, for the last 25 years, I study, 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 study. Pray, 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 pray. Study, 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 study. Pray, 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 pray. Practice, 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 practice. Practice, 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 practice. This is not the first time I've preached this message. I've preached this message dozens of times before I even got up in front of you. I'm not bragging on myself. I'm just trying to tell you how God can take somebody who has average ability. I'm not the greatest communicator in all the world. T.D. Jakes is. Compared to T.D. Jakes, I stink. But you know what? I'm not going down because I'm not consistently consistent. I will be prepared every time they put a mic in my hand. Every time God says, take the platform, I will be ready to go. Because in life, if you want to win, you've got to be relentlessly persistent and consistently consistent. Now here's the key. How do you do both where it matters most? How do you do both where it matters most? Last thing and last way to have a winning day. Last way to get your actions automated so you can have cycles of victory. You've got to find intrinsic motivation. Looking good will never keep you skinny. Case in point. Because I look good all the time. I'll just play. That's not a big enough motivation. You have to have not an outward motivation, but an inward motivation. Why did Joshua go back and fight where he once lost? Why was he relentlessly persistent? Why did Joshua not fail to draw back his javelin until Ai was destroyed? Why was he consistently consistent? Verse 27 says, he went according to the word of the Lord, which God had commanded Joshua. Joshua's intrinsic motivation was this is going to please God. It was because God said so. There are a lot of people who need outward motivation to do what God said. 
Instead of people who just have, I want to please God. And that's why I'm doing what God said. Joshua wasn't in it for the money because when you've made it and have enough, you stop doing it and you retire if the money is your motivation. Joshua wasn't in it for the fame because people will love you one moment and hate you the next. Joshua wasn't in it because of any other reason than this pleased God. He was living for an audience of one. He was motivated by pleasing God. So if he had money, he was good. If he didn't have money, he was good. He said, the Bible never talks about Joshua either way, right? But Paul's did, right? He said, I know how to abase and how to abound. And in all things, I'm content. Why? Because his contentment wasn't in outward motivation. It was intrinsic motivation. It wasn't in what's happening out here. It is what is happening between me and God. It is my relationship with the Lord. So if he had money, he was good. If he didn't have money, he was good. If he, if people approved of him, he was good. If people didn't approve of him, it was good. If things were going well, he was good. If things weren't going well, he was good. If he got a win, he was good. If he... Took a loss, he was good. He wasn't motivated by what happened or what the world could give him or what people thought of him. He was motivated by what pleased God. Here's the scripture that I want to give you. Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to wrap this up. Colossians chapter 3, verse number 23 says, And whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of your inheritance, for you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to me. Attaboys are wonderful. Don't need them. Recognition is great. Don't need it. Standing before people and people clapping, oh, it makes you feel good. Don't need it. We ain't living to get our name in a paper or money in our pocket. We are doing it for God, who is a better rewarder than what this world has to offer anyway. Listen to what MLK said. He said, if it falls your lot to sweep streets in life, sweep streets like Michelangelo painted pictures. Sweep streets like Beethoven composed music. Sweep streets like Shakespeare wrote poetry. Sweep streets like the host of heaven and earth. We'll have to pause and say, here lived a great street sweeper who swept his job well. Here lived a great electrician who electriced his job well. Here lived a great principal who principled her job well. Here lived a great pastor who pastored his job well. Here lived a great musician who musicianed his job well. It doesn't matter what it is. Do it as on to God. The reason why you are doing it and the reason why you give it everything you have all of the time is because we work on to God, not on to men. And God is a better rewarder than any man who ever walks this earth can ever be. Ever hear Mr. Rogers? How does a man who, who wears a corny cardigan, flips off his shoes, talks to kids in a land of make-believe, that if an adult watches it, it is the corniest thing in the world, the ugliest puppet you've ever seen in your life too. How does he become famous? How does he, how does he make it? His wife answered when he died. She said, Joanne Rogers, Fred believed to the depth of his soul that the space between the TV and the children watching was holy ground. That was his X factor. Would to God that educators today would realize the space between their mouths and kids' minds is holy ground. It's holy ground. What's your X factor? Not doing it for you. Not doing it for me. Not doing it for your boss. Not doing it for any person. Not even doing it for your family, although that's a good motivation. Doing it for God. And so it's always got to be the best. Can't be secondhand. Can't be unprepared. Can't be late. I don't show up for church on time. For people, I don't show up on church on time for you. Show up for God. We have a we have a host of people that are late all the time for God, and then they quit. God, I don't understand why you ain't on time for me. Doing it for God is our X factor. Consistently consistent, relentlessly persistent. 
the intrinsic motivation of living for an audience of one. That's how you win a day. That's how you renew your mind. That's how you get your actions to a place where they're godly on a regular basis. And your mind gets renewed and you get into that cycle of victory in your life. Would you stand to your feet? Jesus. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we stand before you and every time we have an audience with you, it truly is holy ground, Lord. First of all, thank you for the right, the right standing to come before your throne. To come not just anyway, but boldly. Father, in times where we need grace and mercy to help in time of need. Even when we are not worthy, Lord, you you made us worthy because of Jesus. Father, thank you for these holy moments as we stand before you. Thank you for these holy moments around the altars of televisions right now that are tuning in. and Father, people wearing VR glasses that are watching you. People seeing you, having a holy moment with you on a screen right now. Father, I pray you'd invade their space and you'd speak to their hearts with every head bowed and every eye closed. Maybe you're here today and you don't know where you stand with Jesus Christ. You could do everything that I said and still be a complete and utter failure in life because the thing that qualifies you to be right in the eyes of God has nothing to do with what we can do but everything to do with what Jesus did and you have to surrender your life to Jesus If I were to ask you where you'd go if you leave this planet today, heaven or hell, in the presence of God or apart from God, and you can't say with absolute certainty that it would be heaven, then you're here because God wants to save your soul. If you're watching on television, you're watching online, wherever you're watching from, if you don't know where you stand with God, God wants to save your soul. If you're here and you don't know, but you want to know, and you want to be made right with God with every head bowed, every eye closed, if that's you, just put your hand up. I want to pray for you, Pastor. Today I want to get right with God. Hold it up. If there's anybody here like that, I want to pray with you. Hallelujah. Online, as Tim in the back there can attest, every week people get saved online. So there's somebody right now God is speaking to. And if that's you, I want to pray with you right now. Let's all pray this prayer together for the benefit of those that the airwaves are reaching right now. Don't you love that? It's not a substitute for church, but I'm glad we'll use it for God. Amen. If God is speaking to you right now, say this with me. Heavenly Father, I surrender my life to you. I ask you to forgive me. I repent of my sins. I make Jesus the Lord of my life. And I will never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. If that was you, if you prayed that prayer, there's a little hand. Reach out and click it. One of our online ministers will reach out to you, or you can write Jesus in the chat, and they'll reach out to you. We love you so much, everybody. God loves you even more. God bless you all. Have a great night.